Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you. I'm your host, your groove mistress, and your cruise director, Madam Perry. But you can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP, Perry. It's all good. Or just Madam. Um, I'm just happy to be here and happy that you're here. Thanks so much to people who are leaving uh, reviews on spot uh, not spotify on stitcher and apple itunes i got a new one this week very nice thank you so much and we are on spotify now uh, of course the place to hear the shows live if you want to hear live and be able to call in and talk to guests you, you do that here on blog talk radio but after the show a couple of hours later it's available for download and it's still free download on just about any podcast platform you prefer. And let's see, first of all, I want to say, too, we've had some good weeks. We've had some great guests. We always have great guests, but I don't know. I think the year, I think this is, this is going to be my omen for how the year is going to play out, that it's going to be good, because we've had so many guests that are just out of sight, just fantastic. For one thing, uh, last week we had Mike Kaplan, a very funny man. His New album is called AKA, and as he said, it's been um, submitted for consideration for nomination for Grammy. And if you don't, Mike, if you've listened to him, you know he, he ought to be a shoe in for that. Also, we had the Marquis Michael Philip DeBars, and of course, you can hear him. I listened to him this morning on Little Stevens Underground as a DJ, musician, actor, and he was on here talking about his. Brand new. It's only been on a couple of weeks. It's brand new. There's a documentary about him uh, called Who Do You Want Me to Be? And I thought that was just referring to acting, but no, it's because he and singer-songwriter Holly Knight co-wrote the song uh, Obsession. That was made a big hit by Anna Mosha. You know, you're my obsession. Who do you want me to be? He wrote that, so... um Anyway, you can get that on Amazon Prime. You can rent it or buy it. Watch that. So, yes. And Michael Day Barr has been following Madam Perry and commenting on uh, things. And, and if you also, um, I, I'm seeing on Instagram people who go on my Instagram page, Madam Perry, and say things to guests or um, talk to them so they like the show. Not even just trying to talk to them, just saying, I like the show with Mike Kaplan, Michael DeBars. These people will come back and they'll talk to you and they'll thank you and say things. And that's, I think that's just very charming. Uh, coming up next week, are you ready for this? Arden Marine. I am so psyched. I uh, read her, her book just launched today. She's had a video that I shared that's saying it's my birth. It's, uh, she's got the balloons up that say it's a book because her book was just launched or born today. And uh, her book is called Little Miss Little Compton. She grew up in Little Compton, Rhode Island. The book is laugh out loud funny. I had no idea. But 
it, she was just funny because I didn't know that much about her when I was given the book. But she's uh, it was on Mad TV. She did comedy with Second City. She's on the shows uh, Shameless and Insatiable. And if you go through her IMDb, she's been on everything from um, Two Broke Girls to uh, uh, Key and Peele, just everything. So Arden Marine is going to be here next Tuesday, and I am just totally psyched about that. And coming up to uh, um, the week after that is Dr. Raymond Moody. And if you know anything about him, he's a doctor, he's a phys- uh, physician and a psychologist and a psychiatrist. He's the guy that first coined the term NDE, near-death experience, back in 1975. He's written several books on his best-selling author. Has, um, he, he does a lot of uh, seminars and uh, uh, things. You just go to his website, Raymond Moody, and so he's going to be here on the 12th. So that's a pretty big lots of things. So I've got lots of guests that have been here, lots of great guests coming up, and a fantastic guest tonight. This woman has just enchanted me uh, on social media until the point where I had to finally get to know more about her and invite her to the podcast, even though she didn't know me, but she very graciously agreed. Oh, oh, agreed to be on. And one more thing. Tomorrow, uh, uh, Thursday, October 1st, Jen Lancaster. Jen Lancaster is going to be here. Completely forgot to say her brand new book is Welcome to the United States of Anxiety. You won't be able to call in because we pre-recorded it, but Welcome to the United States of Anxiety. You might have known her first few books were uh, Bitter is the New Black, Bright Lights, Big Ass, and Such a Pretty Fat, Jen Lancaster. So you should be Thursday on Thursday show. But tonight, as I was saying, this woman... This woman is somebody that, you know, you could read tweets. Um, I read her tweets and think, God, I wish I lived near her, even though we couldn't hang out right now. But I am just so thrilled to have her here for the first time, hopefully not the last time, in the genie bottle. Uh, just a dynamic lady who, as I said, I'm enchanted with. I'll call her Coach Dawn Richards. Dawn, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I am ridiculously excited and honored to be here. Yay, thank you. Thank you. Now, I have put here uh, on the information on the, with the slideshow and, and with uh, that I've put out, I said, writer, blogger, humorist, coach Dawn Richards visits Madame Perry Salon. But I've got a character limit, and you, you're so much more than that. Uh, you're an inspirational leader. You've got extensive experience in strategic planning, organizational, all, all kind of, you know, fancy management and corporate stuff as uh, well as having a magazine. So tell us in your own words. Coach okay. Um, so first of all, thank you again for that introduction. And I just want everyone to know that I blame myself for the bio, um, which dates back to when I had planned to claw my way back into corporate America, which unceremoniously downsized me a couple of years ago. Um, and so I do want to, you know, tighten that up a little bit, but yes, I was all those things and more. Um, also Jen, please screen any callers or any of my friends and family, and please just make sure that you block them. I would greatly appreciate it. I can let you know if there's somebody who should talk. Um, I've walked the dog six times in the past hour, but she has a toddler's radar for when mommy is busy. So I am ready with my spray bottle of water just in case I need it. So if you hear any funny sounds, that's what it is. Um, 
And last, I have a terrible tendency of talking too much, so please just say, stop talking. And I will, I promise. I've been, people have been telling me to stop talking since I was able to talk. You so. may talk, Tom Richards, but let me tell you, I, I am fascinated. To me, you don't, you don't say a word that's unnecessary or nothing. That's, no time is wasted spent with you, Aww. talking with you. Thank you. So, Thank no, you. Don't worry about that. Yeah, so the dog. I know what you mean. Mine, mine end up, they can, be as, they can sleep in here all day, but as soon as the show comes on, they turn into little mafia osos. You know, they start yes. to uh, extortion. It's like, uh, hey. Exactly. Starting a podcast. Exactly. You're excited about it. Be ashamed if somebody could hear you because a dog was barking. Got any treats? That kind of thing. Right, right. Well, I tell people that, you know, my contribution to the 2020 Zoom debacle is I bring my own barking dog. <laughs> so, so Doc, yeah. I've been uh, reading your blog, and you definitely are humorous. Um, I don't know where I would put you on the humor scale if I was trying to explain. I'd say somewhere between more of a 2020 version of, um, I don't know, somewhere between Irma Bombeck and David Sedaris. Oh, oh my goodness. What an honor. I love both of them. Good. Yay. So um, when did you start writing a blog and why? Um, actually, when I was downsized from corporate America. Um, I No, that's not true. I had started one about 10 years ago before, like blogging was a thing. And because I have zero ability to predict the future, I let it go. And then, you know, 10 years later, it's like, oh, everyone has a blog. And I thought, well, <laughs> I would have. Um, and so anyway, when I left corporate America, I was sort of thinking about what do I want to do at that point? You know, I'd had a magazine for six years, which I can talk a little bit more about in a minute. Um, and I thought, you know what? I really do like to write. Um, I'll write a blog and I'll write a blog just about life and whatnot. And I had no idea you know, how much more goes into it about, you know, in terms of like the, the publicity and that you have to get a following. And, you know, I just thought, well, I'm just going to write, mm-hmm. write in people will come. I'll build it and people will come. Um, and they have, which is really gratifying. Um, but I've always just liked sort of writing out my thoughts. And I've, I've always believed that you can find the humor in just about everything, right? And anything that happens to you in life, as terrible or as sad or as upsetting as it might seem in the moment, eventually becomes funny or you can make, you know, funny stories happen. And so why not try to find the humor as soon as you can? Because it just, I think it helps you get through life. And so I thought a blog about my sort of misadventures, past and present, you know, would be something that people enjoyed. And I've got a lot of good feedback on it, and it's really, it's so rewarding when a complete stranger, you know, reaches out to you and says, look, I love your writing, or that helped me, or that inspired me, or I laughed, or, you know, that feels great. So, yeah. yeah. that's what I noticed when uh, when I read your blog, when I've looked at it, and, and people do comment things what they like, um, that's got it. I don't, I've never had that, always had that many things when I blogged. I never got that many as many results as you did or as many comments, but that's got to feel, you know, good to know that somewhere somebody is sitting and reading and looking forward to it. And you, you're not just speaking to them. You're speaking to them. They are connecting with you somewhere else in the world. It does. Yeah, it really does. Because otherwise it's this constant game of what if I gave a party and one came, right. <laughs> and, you know, you just write and write and think, well, you know, I hope somebody besides my mother is reading this. <laughs> but, but yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when somebody does, it's like, wow, you know. And you know, people can say, and 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 I have to, um, anything bad about you know the the world today, the internet, social media, and all that. But for you know, for any negative things, there are also a lot of good things. If it weren't for t- uh, Twitter. I would know who you were probably, and so many other people I wouldn't know um, that that I'm just so that just bring so much joy into my life to talk to them, to listen to them, whether it's musicians or writers or just folks that I like them. Yes, it's opened up this whole world, and and you know, and again, same token, right? I get to meet people like you, and I get to make friends all over the world and and learn things and. It's just fascinating, and I think that, you know, humans tend to be sort of the downfall of everything, right? <laughs> everything was, every idea looks terrific until actual humans get involved. And, and I think about this with our communications, right? Like mail was wonderful. You got letters, you got holiday cards, and, you know, a few bills. And then you got junk, and then you got more junk, and then people stopped writing letters, and then all you got were bills and junk. And it's like, well, this isn't any fun anymore. And so let's have email. And email lasted probably, you know, a couple of years where it was nice things and you got in touch with people. And then people discovered, you know, the email joke thread and the, the God forbid, the chain mail, you know, the email version of a chain letter. And we ruined email. And then we got Facebook and we ruined that. And it's like we just we seem to be getting better at ruining every communication channel because we're experts at it now. Right. So now we can ruin it in like two weeks. <laughs> I, I never thought of it that way, but you crystallized the, the, the exact way that it's happening completely. Um, oh, we're great at winning things, <laughs> <laughs> and and we're gonna keep and we're gonna keep it going too. I'm sure somehow, some way, you know, we'll we'll keep oh, we'll it manage. Going. We'll manage. We <laughs> will. <laughs> we do. <sighs> Now you're in uh, you're in Florida, right? I am. I'm in South Florida, just a little bit north of uh, Miami, about 45 minutes north of Miami. You, you mentioned earlier something about oh yeah, and the, you're right. Chain letters, my God, when they came on the on, on email, they were in those cookie recipe things. Who's got you know? Yes, yes. Who does this? Well, I guess the people that used to send chain letters, right? <laughs> <laughs> And if they and if they were supposed to be for fun, then why didn't they put their real names on them where you could see it? That's what I want to know. That exactly, exactly. Yep. So, uh, you had tell me about you. You mentioned your introduction to, and I did. You had a magazine, and tell me about starting a magazine. You're the co-founder of Pompano Media Group. Uh, it was published Pompano Today magazine. Tell us about that because that just. Um, I get that idea so, sometimes, and I think I would just fail miserably. <laughs> so the city, uh, the city I live in, Pompano Beach, there are about 100,000 people here. And I looked around at a lot of other cities of comparable size, and I realized, you know, they all have a local magazine. Some of them even have two. And this was even, like, during the recession, because I started it in 2010, like the worst possible time, right, to start a print mm-hmm. magazine. Um, but... I knew that, and these magazines are successful because people like local, they like to know what's happening there. And I thought, you know, 
I know nothing about publishing a magazine. I certainly read a lot of magazines, <laughs> but you know, I have the internet, right? And I remember I said, and I had a full-time job, but I, you know, I had a very demanding full-time job at the time, which I was not going to give up. And so I said to my husband, you know, I'm thinking about starting a magazine. And he just looked at me and he said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And he said, do you know anything about publishing a magazine? And I said, no, but I have the internet. And so I taught myself, I had a couple of partners that I dragged into this with me. And my idea was that, you know, the magazine would grow with the city because it's doing a lot of redevelopment and a lot of, you know, attracting businesses and residents and whatnot. And I thought, you know, I'll be here on the ground floor. And so I couldn't, of course, because go big or go home with me. I couldn't just, you know, do it online. No, I had to do print. And it was, um, it was between 40 and 50 pages every month. And it was kind of a standard mix. And again, when you look at local magazines, there's sort of a formula. You know, there's an op-ed column, there's a meet your neighbor, there's a here's what's happening this month, like an events calendar. And so I really did just sort of follow that formula. And it did pretty well. I did it for six years. Um, but putting out something like that every month for six years, you know, is uh, we have a local newspaper and somebody said to me, you know, what you have to remember is the woman who puts out that paper, if you want to complain about it, anybody can do a better job once, you know, but nobody could do it over and over and over again. And it is that, you know, that that is, is tiring because those deadlines come and I had contributors and they were great, but they weren't always on time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just a lot of work. And I remember my daughter saying to me probably about four years in, she said, mom, you have no life. (laughs) Like you work and you publish a magazine. That's all you do. You know, if you really want to write, here we go. Why don't you start a blog or something? And I said, well, you know, I like having the magazine and I really did. Um, And then, uh, someone, a publisher who has a couple of other local magazines had approached me about maybe, you know, folding mine into something he was going to do in Pompano. And I went back and forth, you know, about what did I want to do. And then in the spring of 2016, I decided I was going to run for city commission. And the city was actually a big supporter of the magazine and would often take ads in there for events and whatnot. And while it's technically legal, you know, to take money from the city as, a, as an advertiser while you're running for office, it didn't feel right to me. And I just thought that it didn't look right. Mm. Um, plus, you know, you might be able to do a couple of things well, but you can't do three, four, five, right? Then you're just terrible at everything. So I decided to um, stop publishing the magazine and I actually write for the other publisher who'd approach me now. He has a magazine called Pompano and I write a column in there every month and that's really a lot of fun. So it worked out well. It worked out a lot better than my campaign for commission worked out. Let me say that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that. There's got to be a point where you say, you mentioned oh. your daughter. How many kids did you have? I have three. Three. So there must I have been have a point. If you've got a job, if you've got a corporate job, and you've got a magazine, and you decide to run for a city commissioner, there's got to be some point where your kids go, is it us? You don't want to be around us anymore? <laughs> right. Well, the girls were already grown and gone by then, my daughters, because they're, uh, they're 20, uh, 28 and 29 now. Um, my son was younger, so he was absolutely trotted out as a photo op and, you know, he was well aware that that's what he was being used for and he wasn't thrilled, but I said, you know, (laughs) shut up and smile. (laughs) Um, and I, I am totally not above, you know, using my granddaughter as a weapon in the photo ops because she was also trotted out, but, but this is a child who believes that every 
ceremony and every celebration is for my granddaughter, Emma. You know, I have a, I drive a convertible. Sometimes I put the top down. She absolutely thinks that she is in a one girl parade (laughs) and we drive down the street and she waves to everybody because, you know, it's every day is her day. You put a a sash (laughs) and a tiara on her. Yeah, oh, she might have. Yeah, she was born with a tiara, I think. Um, <laughs> yes, she's seven years old, and she actually plans out her outfit and her hair the night before every day. Wow. Yep, and you know the best thing about grandchildren is they're just the ultimate revenge. It's fantastic. <laughs> what are, so what she's a lot of fun. The ultimate revenge. I don't know. I think I heard a comedian once say that the recent grandparents and grandkids got along so well that they had a common enemy in between. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. I taught her how to drink coffee when she was like three. And my daughter said, I could, I might actually hate you. And I said, well, you might. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. Anyway, so I ran for office. There were four of us in the race. Um, to say that I lost is a vast understatement. I was crushed. I actually came in dead last behind the guy who did no campaigning and I think put up two signs the day of the election. Aww. It was fabulous. But you know what? Aww. I had a lot of laughs. I met a lot of really fun people that I'm, I'm still good friends with now. Um, and it was, it was great. It really was. And I, I can't say that I recommend it to everyone. But, you know, it is something that not a lot of people do. It seems scary. And but again, as I said before, you know, my MO is sort of, well, I have no idea, but I can learn. Right. And I just I just jumped in. And I think the highlight or low point of the campaign, although there were so many, it's hard to pick one, um, was when I realized that I had unwittingly committed a financial irregularity. Mm. And so I reported myself. And I called the city clerk and she just laughed and shook her head and said, well, you have to call the state. And I said, okay. And so I called the state and I said, you know, I'd I'd like to report a a campaign finance violation. And they said, who's the candidate? And I said, me. And she (laughs) was like, what? And I said, yeah, it was was me. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do this and I did it. So what do I do? And she was like, oh my God. And uh, she told me how to fix it. And so I fixed it. But yeah, that was pretty much like the tone of the campaign. That's how little I knew. Mm. Oh. <laughs> yep. But awesome. have, you know, I know that you've been writing a book. You started sometime back. I don't know if you stopped now, but um, I don't think I said this to you before. But I'm sure I didn't. But I feel it fair to warn you that I'm going to start nagging you about it. I'm going to be your little fairy godmother. Oh sort of oh so you're gonna to have to block my number or block me on twitter well, there you go there you go look for that um so i was writing a book um i had thought originally that that people might be interested in what it's like when the average person runs for office because again it's not something a lot of people do and i took a course from an amazing writer and mentor named Jeff Goins. Uh, I, I never pronounce it right, I don't think, but it's G-O-I-N-S, Goins. And he has a course called, like, Write a Bestseller in 90 Days or something like that. And so I took his course, incredible. And I was explaining to him that, you know, I was going to write about what it was like to run for office. And he said, you know, I just don't think there are enough people that are interested in that that would actually buy the book. He said, but what I hear you saying is that, 
in order to run for office, you had to sort of be somebody that you weren't in order to get what you thought you might have wanted. And I did realize during the campaign, while I thought I might want to be commissioner, I had absolutely no interest in running for commissioner because running was Mm. so terrible. Um, Anyway, so then Jeff Grant said to me, you know, he said, what I think you actually have is a larger theme, which is what happens when you try to be somebody you're not to get something that you think you want? And he said, you know, he said, first of all, that topic fascinates me personally. He said, but second of all, that, that affects every aspect of our lives, right? Like we try to go after the person that we think, you know, oh my goodness, I could marry that person. If I just was a different person, maybe they'll marry me. And then we act like someone we're not right. And then they fall for the person that isn't really us. Um, It's absolutely true in your professional life. It's true everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing this book about authenticity using, you know, examples from the campaign and from my professional life and from my marriage, which I thought was great. And so I was actually on the third draft of the book and it was humming along and I had my chapters outlined and, you know, quite a bit of it written up and the synopsis and everything. And then out of nowhere, while we were in the middle of remodeling our house, um, my husband took his own life. Oh. And it was terrible, and it was eight days before Christmas, and it was gruesome in uh, wait, December. Wait, in the middle of a remodel and eight days yep. before Christmas. Yep. So the guys were actually downstairs working. We were in the bedroom. I had just sold our stove, and I had walked back in the room to put the, the money away that, that the guys who bought the stove had given me. And I was walking out of the bedroom, and I heard this terrible, like, bang. And I thought that one of the guys had dropped a piece of drywall. And I looked over, and there was my husband. I had no idea. Mm. It was terrible. Man. It was truly terrible. And no warning. Everything seemed to have been great. You know, we were having fun. We were doing the house. We were going to holiday parties. And I, you know, I will never know what happened. And that's, I think, the hardest thing, right? Because we want to know why. We want to understand. And it's really hard when you can't. Um, but my sense of humor saved me, and uh, the poor guys, I was friends, actually, with the contractor. We had known each other for a while from the magazine, and I ran downstairs, and these guys got stuck there for hours because, you know, the police came, and we had to, you know, I had to be tested for gunshot residue, which was really awful, um, mm. but they wouldn't let these guys leave, right, because they were treating it like a crime scene, so they're stuck there, and of course, they don't want to come back to this house probably ever. I mean, as crazy as remodeling stories get, you know, this one, I'm sure it took the cake. And so I talked to the contractor that night and he said, now, now mind you, I have no kitchen, right? I just sold the stove. There's no kitchen. There's no, I mean, it, it looks like Beirut in my house. Um, and he said, look, I told the guys, you know, the job's off for now. You let us know when you're ready. And I looked around and I thought, well, I'm not living like this. You know, I got to keep going. Plus for contractors, you know, if they don't work, they don't eat, right? So what they're going to do is they're going to go on to the next job. And then I don't know when they're going to come back. And this is way too depressing to look at. So I said to him, no, you know what? He said, you're sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure. And he said, all right, I'll call him right now. We'll be there tomorrow. And I said, okay, great. So the next day they're back in my house and, you know, they're guys, right? And they're contractors and they don't know what to say. And they walk in and they're kind of looking around and they're like, sorry, Don, sorry, Don. Oh my God. And I thought, you know, I have to say something to break the ice, right? Because this is unbearable for all of us. Right. So I looked at them and I said, you know, he was just 
so upset by the quality of your work that he couldn't take it anymore. Oh, oh. <laughs> what did they do? And they look at me like, she did not just say that. And then they all busted out laughing, and it, it totally broke the ice. And then one of the guys said, you know what, Miss Dawn, I lost my son last year, and I it's hard to get over. And then all these stories came bubbling out. And you know what I mean? We were past it then. Mm-hmm. And then we could talk about it, and we could be open, and it was okay. And those guys were in my house for another probably three months, which, first of all, was really wonderful to just have that, like, activity every day and see the progress. Um, yeah. And they saved me, you know, and they gave me something to do and something to worry about, and I couldn't just sit there. Um, and it really helped. And they were they were incredible guys. I can't thank them enough. You know, and it was hard in the end when it was all done. It was very bittersweet. It was just, you know, because we'd planned everything. And that was the other thing is we had already picked everything out. So I didn't really have to make decisions, which was good because I had zero decision-making ability for a long time after. When, uh, and how long ago was this? Uh, December of 18. So not that long. And, um, man, so... Uh... Yeah, it was hard. You became. It I was think hard. You, you you were telling me that uh, what was it? You were telling me we, we, once we were talking about how um, you know lately sometimes there seems to be so many people dying and about the stigma of people don't want anybody to know that somebody close to them took yes. their own life. And I've seen yes, so many. Yes, and people I had lately. so many people. Right, so many people came up to me afterward that I knew you know had known for a long time. And had no idea and said, you know, my husband did this, my brother did this, my son did this, my mother did this. And I was shocked. And I have one friend, she's kind of my idol. She's in her late 80s. And she and her daughter came over one night, not probably a week or two after. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I lost my son and my grandson this way. But I found a way to be happy and you will too. And it was, it was remarkable. And so many people just came and helped and fed me and texted and called. And, you know, it it was, I was very lucky to have, to have that. And one of the reasons I have started writing about it, it's obviously darker than what I put, you know, generally on the blog, but I do a lot of more writing about it on media and not all that often, sort of when the mood strikes me, um, because I want people to know that you can talk about it, that it's okay, and it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And I also want people to know, if God forbid they're thinking about this, understanding what the aftermath is really, really like for the people that are still here, because it's terrible. Yeah, because, I mean, and you say, like you did with the icebreaker with the, with the uh, contractors the next yeah. day. You know, you say, you know, I would rely on my sense of humor to get me through no matter what. Oh, yes. Um, and and as you said, life is pretty grim without the ability to laugh at yourself. But on the other hand, it's not that way all the time. You've got your quiet moments when you know when it all. I'm oh, yeah. sure it all comes crashing down on you. So it's not always that way. I couldn't and find yeah. my sneakers, and I I had just a complete meltdown. And my daughters, you know, God bless them. I mean, they just they just swooped in and took over, and they called the insurance company, and they called the cleanup crew, and they they did everything. And it was probably a month after, and I wanted to work out. Finally, I was starting to, you know, think about other things, and I couldn't find my sneakers. And I call my daughter in just hysterics. Did my sneakers get thrown away? Where are my workout clothes? And she was like, calm down. Your sneakers are right in the closet. 
you know, we had to move everything out of the way. And I said, okay, okay. You know, and it is, it's just things will hit you, right? Mm-hmm. And and you just have to sort of take a deep breath and square your shoulders and, and move forward. You you have a, um, yeah, you you do write for Medium. And I've read a lot of your articles on there. And I suppose there's one I'm looking at right now that I read last week. It says, I wish my husband had dropped dead on the tennis court. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> my fervent wish. Will you talk about <sighs> how that? Sure. So I was at dinner with my family, um, and we ran into some friends, and they had a friend with them. And they introduced me, and my friend said, you know, um, you and whoever, I'm going to make up a name, I don't know, Sue, you and Sue have a little bit in common. You know, Sue lost her husband last year, and Sue said to me, yes, he dropped dead on the tennis court. And I just thought, oh, F you. (laughs) I wish, I just wish he had dropped dead on the tennis court, because then everybody would feel sorry, and everybody would feel bad, and, you know, Nobody knows how they're going to react to anything, right, until it happens. And we can all sit there and say, well, I would do this and I would do that. Like, there are no perfect parents, right, except the ones without children. Um, But you just don't know how you're going to react. So maybe I have no idea, but I really feel like if some terrible accident had befallen him, a car accident, dropping dead on the tennis court, you know, anything like that, an illness, we understand that, right? We know that those kind of things happen all the time. And despite the prevalence of suicide, we don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And, and while intellectually and rationally, I understand, you know, that there's a lot of psychology behind it. And I understand, you know, mental illness and whatnot. But emotionally, it just, it's very, very hard to understand because it feels like the ultimate rejection. Mm-hmm. You know, and I go through, of course, and you can't help the what ifs. What if this? What did I say? Something, you know, and I, I, in my better moments, I say, look, you know, if he didn't like, if he didn't love you anymore, he could have left, right? If he was tired of his job, he could have quit. Um, There were a million things he could have chosen to do, but I know that that's the emotional side of my brain thinking too, because choice implies that, that he just had this, you know, he made this decision to make the rest of all of our lives really hard. And I do not believe he did that. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. No. And, uh, and yeah, you're right. People don't realize if, if there, if there's somebody out there thinking about this right now, if this has been on your mind and there's, there's a lot of people, it goes through people's minds yes. probably more than yes. they would ever admit to anyone. Yep. But if something like this is going through your mind, there is a suicide hotline number you can call. And there, and, and you might think that people will be better off without you. Whatever it is about you, you feel like the world will be better off without me. I won't be a burden on this person or that person in my life. That's just not the way it is. You know, you have no, no idea what kind of a not. pain or what kind of a hole you'll leave in people's lives and what kind of pain. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you did, you can't take it back. And that's, you know, that's the hardest thing of all. Um, so I was that, you know, and I had to, of course, you know, you go through all the gruesome stuff. You have to, you know, a headstone or what do you want on it and this and that. And um, I went to, I waited about six months, which is the other big piece of advice I have for people. Do not make any major decisions for a year. Nothing, 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 nothing. Stay in your house. Uh, if you can, you know, keep your job. If you can, 
do not go off willy-nilly because I've met so many people who just made rash decisions and they're sorry forever. So I listened to my lawyer, I listened to my financial advisor, and they said, no, not doing anything. I said, okay, Mm -hmm. I won't do anything. I won't do anything. And it was the best thing I could have done because who knows what I would have done, Mm -hmm. you know, in the weeks after that I would have been sorry for later. You really have to give yourself time to just sit in place. So anyway, finally, about six months later, I chose the, the headstone and I did all that. And I steeled myself to go see it once it was in. And I looked over maybe two graves over and there's a fairly new headstone. This person died within a few months of my husband and the gravestone says, you burned your mother's heart. <gasps> Whoa. And I thought, yeah, exactly. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. First of all, who does that? Second of all, that right there is why you don't make any decisions right after it happens. <laughs> because you end up with that on a gravestone. That is why you wait. And whoever you are, I'm sorry, and I'm sorry for your mother, but thank you for being right here near Jean, because I now have a little bit of comic relief and a story to tell people when they come with me to the grave. (sighs) You you know, uh, I don't know what is your, as they call it now, your belief system or whatever. I'm Greek Orthodox, and I'm heavily Greek Orthodox. Yep. Okay. Something like that. I just always figured there is somebody near me, guardian angel, spirit, whatever. Yes. Oh, well, that was the other thing I did. Man, I pulled out every weapon in that arsenal, and I did things I've never done in my life. I called a, a, she's called a communicator, you know, that can communicate with the other side. Even though it was my daughter said to me, church doesn't like that. We're not supposed to break that wall. And uh, I went to the beach for 21 days in a row, and I gave a flower to the goddess of the ocean. Um, I had the priest come and bless the house, which we have actually always done. That's the thing in the Greek church. You try to have the priest come once a year, so I did that. Um, And our priest was terrific and wonderful. Um, The communicator was wonderful. I burned, of course, the sage. You know, I mean, I did it all. And then she told me to sprinkle salt, like, on the outside of the windows so they keep the spirits out. And so my daughter and I are out there with salt, and the neighbor walked by, and I'm like, oh, hi, how are you? And I walked back from the house with the salt because I thought, really, I am not up to explaining what I am doing out here with a can of salt and my windows. Mm. <laughs> All right. Listen, and by the way, uh, if you follow Don Richards on Medium, D-A-W-N-E, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S, and also follow her on Twitter because she makes my day over there and has for a long time. And I oh, wish I had taken this long to approach you on there about it. Also, um, and then I saw that you followed me. I thought, oh, my gosh, she's got like three times the followers I've got. And she follows nope. me. Oh, my God. They're but, all bots. Um, I'm sure they're all bots. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> oh, but I tell you what, I will be sharing on all of my social media, not just Madam Perry Salam, but, but also Thank Jennifer you. Perry as well. I'll be show, uh, sharing uh, for all of you the uh, the Twitter handles and the, uh, the where you can find Dawn Richards on Medium because you really want to read her work. She's a fantastic writer. I think she's fun to talk to here. She's an excellent writer. Uh, and I'm going to give us both about one minute or a little under one minute to uh, get a drink of water. Dawn, and uh, going to have a message here from somebody, and we'll be right 
back in less than a minute. I mean, the world has gone crazy, right? I mean, this whole pandemic, I, I, I don't even know if I'm coming or going anymore. You know what I mean? But the one thing during the pandemic that I found out, right, that was a good thing was the Madame Paris Salon. I mean, this podcast, right, when you hear her laughing, all you want to do is laugh. Right? When her dog's barking in the background and she's talking to the dog, I'm like, she's going to an interview, and I'm like, this podcast is the best podcast I've ever heard before. You know what I mean? The dogs barking in the background. That is what I'm known <laughs> for. <Dog. laughs> you could be known for much worse. God, I know that true. <laughs> hmm. So... What is, uh, you write, and what else do you have? Oh, your makeovers. Yeah, the makeovers in the, that you had on the thing. Now, how did that get to be a thing? Was it when you were um, remodeling your house, or did you just? Yeah, and then I, I sort of, probably five or six years ago, I started getting very interested in, like, mid-century modern type stuff. I've always been a project person. Yeah. I like to do things, um, paint and sort of refinish and try to learn how to restore things, um, although restoration is a little bit of a stretch for what I do. Um, but I've become kind of obsessed with, like, thrift shop, you know, thrift shopping and hunting and estate sales and whatnot. And I love, love, love to do it. Now, what I have to learn to do is sell some of what I find because otherwise I'm going to have to just keep buying houses and I can't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love to find stuff and sort of bring it back to life. Yeah. And it's very therapeutic. I found it to be really therapeutic. And I've had some terrible ideas. Um, that have not worked out well at all, but I've had some other ones that I think are pretty good. So, Okay. Now, do you share those as well to kind of warn us off, like a, don't let this happen to you? Sort I of do. Thing? I do. A lot of times on Instagram, um, and I think my name on Instagram is just Dawn Richards, just my name. You know, it's nice to have the E because it's easy to get like a domain and everything because nobody else spells mm-hmm. it with an E. Um, so that made it very simple for me. But, yeah, I like to garden. I like to plant. Um all kinds of stuff like that. I am yeah, and I will to... warn you away from, like, don't ever try to teach yourself how to skim coat. That's an art. What? And you might as well try to paint the Sistine Chapel as try to learn how to skim coat. Oh, my what goodness. Is that? Never I even, again. I don't even know what that is. So it's when your wall, like when you have a drywall and there's, like, rough spots and it maybe got dented somewhere and you want to smooth it over, you literally skim a new coat of this mud on it. Um. Don't try this at home. <laughs> and definitely when you when you do anyway, because you ignore me, don't try it on a wall that's 40 feet long um, <laughs> because the nightmare just never ended. And the poor contractor came back and he's like, what happened? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I could learn how to skim coat. And he's like, yeah, please don't do that. Um, and they all know me, right? The handyman, the contractors. Like I had a, a thing last week, a vintage wall unit that the leg looked to be going a little bit. And I sent pictures to the handyman, and his text back to me was literally, I will be there in two days. Don't <laughs> touch it. <laughs> okay, I won't touch it. I promise. Oh, and I'm making handbags. Oh. Something else that I knew nothing about except bags are my thing. Shoes are not my thing. Bags are my thing. I have, like, 50 bags. I have vintage bags and new bags. 
And uh, you're making the them person who I am, I am with a partner who's amazing, who has been doing my hair um, for 26 years, although he'd probably write, rather I not say that um, mm-hmm. because we're both old. But anyway, he's an artist and he was painting his art onto bags and I bought a couple of the bags and I really liked them. And when I left corporate America, I was in there getting my hair cut and, you know, moping about life. And he was like, so you don't have a job? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, oh, my God, do you want to go into the bag business with me? And I thought, oh, I totally want to make handbags. Because, again, I have the Internet, right, and I can learn. And so um, we're still not out yet, but we're close. We're hoping to be out by Christmas. Um, it's called Spectacular Bags, and it's so much fun. And I've learned all the ins and outs of making handbags. So that's really cool. I'm having a ball. Well, be sure and share pictures, and I and, uh, hope you'll let me share the pictures, too online as of well. Of course. We'll do. Wow. We'll do. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I well, nothing I've ever done before. Again, what do you know about making handbags? Nothing. <laughs> but I know how to shop for them. I'm sure I can do this. Oh, gosh. I'd like to do that. I, I get I get all carried. I get grandiose ideas, and I like to watch fashion shows and with the, some of the wild things and try to come up with stuff. And I'm involved in steampunk, you know, where they're real big on making things, making oh, your costume yes. clothes. But I start working on mine, I get all these ideas, and then I end up looking like, it's like, I've seen prison crafts that are better than that, so. Oh, know. oh, absolutely, yeah, and I don't, I don't, so. Um, actually, there's a story on my blog that people can find about the A-line skirt, and you'll know everything you need yeah, to know yeah, about why I do not sew. The turquoise A-line skirt, yes, I was looking, on yes, education. it was traumatic. Tur- <laughs> yes, and I'll, ne- I'll never sew. In fact, I told my partner that a couple of weeks ago, he was asking me questions about fabric measurements. And I said, John, I'm going to tell you the story about my turquoise A-line skirt, and this is why you will never ask me a sewing question again, because <laughs> it's a trigger for me. So not doing it. So uh, find Dawn Richards on Medium. You're going <laughs> to – she's got all these stories and more. And find her on Twitter, and she'll keep you going. So even when things get weird on Twitter, I've got – people complain. They go, I don't want to get on there. It's too much trash, too much negativity. I seem to follow – I am grateful that I find and follow the – Funnest people. Yes, and nice people. Yeah. Not like I made a joke about my daughter one night and millennials, and this woman responded to my tweet and she commented, You're going to die alone. And I thought, Oh my, someone doesn't have a sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. You know, just, yeah, let it go. And by the way, speaking of fun, I have, and I gave them out at the um, at the eye doctor's office today. Oh, I gave one away. Um, I have, for people that want them, if you like, when at the end of the show, I play a part of my song, Everybody's Got to Swing, that I co-wrote with uh, my husband and a guy named Tom Wolf. Not the other Tom Wolf, but a different Tom Wolf. But, uh now, if you want that, I'll send it. Also, I now have Madame Perry Salon pen and lightsaber set. It's like a small lightsaber, oh. but it still lights up. So if you want one, people just message me, and I'll tell you how to get them. Don, don't you need a, a lightsaber down there in Florida? I, need, I desperately tonight? need a lightsaber. I absolutely desperately need a lightsaber, and I must, I must get this song. Yes, absolutely. Well, Sister, you are going to get a, a package. You're going to get a goodie bag. You're going to get a package. Oh, that's and so all exciting. That. <laughs> I can 
excited. <laughs> and if you don't like the CD, hey, it makes a great coaster or a nice shiny cat toy. So uh, thank you. So I will be sharing. It's come to the end. I will be sharing on all of my social media how to find Dawn's work on her blog, uh, her website, uh, how to find her on media and find her, uh, media find her on Twitter. And Dawn, thank you so much for being my guest. Please tell me you'll come back again. Oh, thank you so much. I'd love to be back. Thank you, thank you. This is Madam With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 